This morning's scripture reading is from Acts 20, verses 28 through 35. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would, never see his, or that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. Please join me as we pray God's blessing over the teaching of his word. Father, I ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds to receive your word. We ask for your anointing on Pastor Tom as he delivers it. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. These shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Paul's conversation in this morning's text takes place with the elders of Ephesus. Um, and, and these are the men that he put in place in a church that he started. So he's having this conversation right now with the elders of Ephesus, these guys that he's known, these guys that he's invested in, these guys that he's built up, these guys that he probably laid hands on and anointed to be leaders in this church, in the church that he set up, that he knew. These people that he cared for, these people that he loved, and as he's talking to him, he says, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even, he says, from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. This is a really stark warning. This is a really strong warning from, from Paul to the leaders that he knows, to the leaders that he loves, to the leaders that he's trusted. He says, there's going to come in savage wolves that rise up even from among you. Paul's warning that the church leaders, leaders that he knew and trusted, that the greatest threat to the health of a church was unhealthy leaders. That the greatest threat to a church were selfish leaders, self-serving leaders. Leaders who, who drew disciples after themselves for their own purposes. The greatest threat to a healthy church 
is unhealthy, self-serving, elders, pastors, overseers, shepherds. And it's acutely a threat because leadership will lead them, will lead them into a place that is self-serving. In other words, at the heart of this, what Paul is saying is, guys, I want you to understand, this is my last conversation with you. As we read in the text, he told them, you're never going to see my face again. And this is my last conversation with you. And he starts it off by saying, I want you to know that there are wolves that are going to rise up, even from among you guys, you guys that I know, you guys that I trust. And that's a danger. That's, that's something we have, to, we, have to, we have to guard against. And the reason why it's such a threat is because where the, where the leaders are is where the leaders will lead people to. It's this place of being self-serving. It's this place of, of, of wanting for themselves. Now, this is an interesting and important lesson to examine that we started looking at last week. Part of the reason, and I, and I, stated, and I stated this last week, that this is important to consider is because we find ourselves in this day and age when the testimony, when the feeling for so many who have experienced the church is that the church is unhealthy. As a friend, as a friend of mine wrote in response to her church experience, why is it such a bad thing to show vulnerability, pain, woundedness, or weakness in the church? We are all human we all bleed. That's why we need a Savior. What is wrong with the church? Too often we hear people who have engaged the, the church express this very, this very feeling. Too often people feel dismissed. They, they feel abandoned. They, they feel disappointed. And as a result, they become disillusioned with, with the church. How many of you know people for whom that's true? Time and time again, we hear people who come to church and they go, I don't feel like anybody cares. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I have a place here. Why does it seem that the church is so mean? As I said last week, based on my experience, there are a couple of reasons I think this story is being told more frequently. First of all, there are a lot of people from every walk of life um, that will find themselves disappointed no matter what. Uh, that will be offended no matter what. We particularly live in a culture and a society that magnifies the slightest of slights. And, and that sensitivity to everything is, is only growing. Um, and, and that is certainly a part of the reason why we hear this narrative more often, why we hear people saying, I'm offended by the church, I'm offended by this, people hurt my feelings. But even more important, even more concerning is that I believe we're hearing the Senate more frequently because the church has progressively lost sight of some of the, 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 most, the most important and the deepest truths that are necessary to create the family of God that Christ intended us to be. And as I said last week, I, I believe at the heart of that is that leadership has lost sight of some of the deep and important truths that are necessary. Now, this is an important reflection specifically because we are in the middle of a series entitled Unstoppable Studying the Book of Acts. And as I've said all along, it's really a study in that first century church. That we've walked through this conversation, we've had this conversation as we've walked through 
the, the, the narrative of the book of Acts, the, the birth of the church and how the Spirit of God came in and built a church that was unstoppable, a church that was, that, was, that was so powerful that it changed the face of the earth, that to this day we are feeling the effects of what they did over 2,000 years ago. We've walked through this and, we, and we've looked at the act that was unbelievable, attributes and the actions of a church that, that knew God in a way that was unbelievable, that was, that was incredible, that was world-changing. So as we've gone through it, we've, we've looked at, at what it is that we can emulate, what it is that we can be as a result of it. We've looked at their commitment to prayer. We've looked at, we've looked at their commitment to the Word of God and, and to the truth of the gospel in the face of opposition. We've, we've looked at their love for each other. We've looked at the way in which they found their joy and their hope and their fulfillment completely in who Christ was in spite of where they were at. Every step of the way, we've been able to find a lesson that challenges us and calls us to something different. And this morning's text is no different. We, we look at this passage and Paul lays out for us a, a deep instruction on how to get to a healthy place as a church. Based on Paul's last instruction to this church, it starts with leadership. It starts with leadership that understands who they are in relationship to Christ and his church. And once that's established in the hearts of leaders, once that's established in the hearts of the elders and the pastors, it flows into the hearts and the lives of the people who are part of the congregation. This is the first important truth that we impact last week as we looked at Paul's admonition. We discovered that the church can never lose sight of the price that was paid. That when leaders lose sight of the price that was paid, when the church lose sight of the price that was paid, the church goes into a wrong and self-serving place. Pay careful attention, Paul says, to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. How does Paul describe the church? How does he frame the body of Christ? Who are we as the church? The church of God that he obtained with his own blood. This, as I said last week, is two very important realities that we can never lose sight of. The, the first is, is linked to the encouragement that Paul gave to the elders. The first is linked to the, to the encouragement that Paul, the challenge that Paul gave to the elders. It is a challenge to say to the elders, this church belongs to Jesus. It's a challenge to the pastors to say, listen, these people aren't yours. They're, they're not here for your pleasure. They're not here for your purpose. They're not here so that you can have your needs and your wants met. They were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased them. He's their master. He's their owner. He's their bridegroom. They belong to him. And he says, when we look at this as elders, when we look at this as pastors, as these people are here for us, we automatically get off on the wrong foot and we begin to create a church that's broken. That is a very serious threat to leadership. It is easy, it is easy, it is easy to get to this place in which you think that you own this or it's for you. Jesus Christ bought the church with his own blood. 
that makes him the over-shepherd and us simply the under-shepherd. Pastors have a responsibility. That's really true. But we've not been given a kingdom. We've been given a responsibility. And so the challenge here that Paul lays out for elders is understand the, understand the church and your, and, and your place in relationship to that church. But it's the same challenge he's trying to get us to realize as members of the congregation. That in this declaration is the inherent truth that every believer in every church has been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. That your place in the body of Christ was purchased by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That your neighbor's place in the body of Christ was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. That the value that we have in our place in this church, the value we have in those people who are in the church with us, needs to match the price that Jesus Christ paid. He cared enough about you. He put you in this place. He gave you the body of Christ. He gave you this relationship in the church by His shed blood. Don't use it. Don't face it. Don't engage it flippantly. So many of us look at our place in the church and go, ah, that's something to do. Oh, this happened. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do that. And we look at the people who are next to us, and we don't value them. We don't, we don't have a, Jesus Christ died for your brothers and sisters in Christ. He cared so much about them that he gave his blood for them. How much do you care about them? The lesson we learn as we look at this that, that Paul begins with is, guys, you've got to value the body of Christ. You have to understand how deeply, it, how deeply God valued it in that he gave his blood. Jesus Christ died for it. All of that lays the groundwork for what it is to be a healthy church. The call to, to leaders to have a right, humble view of themselves in light of Christ leads people to have a right, humble view of themselves in the light of Christ. And that lays the foundation for the next two lessons that we learn from Paul's admonition. Not only do we have to keep sight of the price that was paid, but we need to be strong enough in the body of Christ to lift up the weak. Now before we expound on these next two, I want you to re remember the reason they are possible is because the under-shepherds and the sheep have a right view of themselves in light of the work of Christ. That the only way we can, we can accomplish the next two things that Paul is asking us to be, the next, the next two admonishments that we can incorporate in our lives, is because we start from this place of saying, the value of our place and our brother's place in the church is so deep that Jesus Christ gave his blood for that place. Everything flows from that reality. That's the, the essential launching spot for everything else. And then from there comes Paul's encouragement to a healthy church that is lifting up the weak. Look, look at what becomes his, his last lesson. And I want to remind you guys of this. This is Paul's last lesson, Paul's last interaction with the church of Ephesus and with its leaders. He said, listen, this is, this is the last time you're ever going to see my face. And they wept because they knew they wouldn't see, see Paul again. And so he's giving him his last words. 
We should understand that as, as, as important. We should understand that as, as an indication of how deeply these truths are, were set in the heart of Paul and meant for us as the body of Christ. Look at what he says to them before he leaves. In everything I did, Paul says, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What's Paul say first of all? As he's closing out his, his, his message, as he's closing out his admonishment, what does he say? We must help the weak. Paul's last instruction to the leadership of the church was to be devoted to help the weak. He doesn't turn to them and say, listen, if we're going to make it, you've got to gather the strong. He doesn't say, you, you, you've got you, you to find the rich. He doesn't say, you, you've got to bring together the right-minded, the most talented, the best looking, the most influential. As he's sitting there and he's talking to the leadership of this church, as they're going forward to build the church of Jesus Christ in Ephesus, this church, this first century church that we've been studying that's so incredible, so world-changing, his instruction to them is, you have to help the weak. You have to build up the weak. You have to lift up the weak. He says, we must help the weak. The reason I believe this is a key reality that is necessary for the church today to embrace is because I believe particularly in the modern American church, we have become too infatuated with the earthly methods of building an organization. We've looked at how every other organization gathering the best and the brightest and the smartest and the wealthiest and the most influential, and that's how we're going to make it. And, and, and Paul's admonition here is, guys, we've got to be devoted to the weak. Now, I say that because I've had experience after experience after experience after experience in the context of ministry in which the focus has always been on who's got the money, who's got the influence, who's got the talent, who's got the power. We want them here. I, I, I will never forget one of the, one of the, one of the most one of the most graphic illustrations of this in my life. When I was, when I was pastoring up in Minnesota, I was invited to a, to a pastor's gathering. It was, it, was a, it was a monthly gathering that we had for all the pastors in a particular section outside of Minneapolis. And we were invited specifically to this church um, where the pastor of this church, it was a newer church, but it was this growing, booming, uh, suburban church. And it was, it was working towards becoming this, this mega church. And and so we got, we got together and we sat down, we had lunch, and then it was time for the pastor to get up and kind of give this admonition and this teaching to, to the pastors to kind of encourage us and instruct us. And he got up in front of a room full of pastors, and the first things out of his mouth, mouth was this. This morning, I want to teach you guys how to get the better people in your church. And he followed up and he said, you know, those people who are going to be able to help you accomplish that which God is, is calling you to, those, those people who are CEOs of companies, those, those people who have accomplished much in their lives, those people who have talents, I want, to get, I want to help you guys understand today how to get the better people in your church. 
now, now, now he said this in front of a room full of under shepherds for Jesus Christ. The, the fact, I mean, I, I think the fact that he got past that opening sentence and didn't get booed out of the room it, it is a really poor reflection on the people who are in that room. But what he's saying there is, is not something that is, that is an aberration. It's not something that, that is not seen in the American church on a regular basis. We, we have begun to focus ourselves on this idea that it is about the better and the brighter and the best. This is unfortunately a common approach. Oh, oh they'll, they'll help us get bit, bit bigger. They'll, they'll help us reach more people. And we wrap it in this spiritualization where we say, well, it's really about growing God's, growing God's church. But in so doing, we've abandoned Paul's instruction to the church. And the tragic flip side of this, because we have that, 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 that heart, we have that drive as the American church, we, we have an unwillingness to commit to helping the weak the hurting, the broken. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had people that have been a part of our ministry, there have been people who have been a part of the things that we've done as a church that are themselves struggling. That they themselves are coming from broken and hurting places and as a result of that, they're creating issues for the ministry. Hurting people on occasion hurt people. Broken people on occasion break people. And what ends up happening is when you incorporate them into your church, you incorporate them into the lifeblood of the church, they end up hurting and damaging people. And I can't tell you the number of times I've had people come up to me and say, oh, you need to get her out of your ministry. Oh, we're losing people over that. we got people who are upset about that. Oh, you need to get that guy out of there because he's not good at that and, he, and, and, and he's causing problems for us. And my response always like, where do they go then? If they can't come to the church and be lifted up and be built up and be cared for, where do they go? Where do they find healing? Where do they find life? Where do they find development and discipleship in their lives? If all we're worried about is the outcome and not the individual, we're not really pastoring broken people. We're not really lifting up the weak. The encouragement here is that we must help the weak. When we embrace this mindset in which it's about how much bigger we get, about how much better the people are, about what we, what we, how we accomplish, what we're supposed to accomplish in the same ways in which the world accomplishes things, we abandon how the Word of God, what the Word of God calls us to. When we, in fact, when we embrace this mindset, we undermine the power of Christ to build His church. Look at how Paul expresses the proper mindset when we look at those who are part of his church. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were, were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is, what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring, nothing, to bring to nothing things that are, 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The pattern, the plan, the pathway of the first century church becoming an unstoppable church was to say, we're going to take the broken. We're going to take the weak. We're going to take the poor. And then we're going to see God move in a way in which everyone says, it's not because of their talent. It's not because of their influence. It's not because of their money. It's because of the power of Jesus Christ. So that the testimony would not be in our strength, but by the Spirit of God. When we abandon the, the instruction, when we, when we embrace a worldly view to building an organization, what we do is we undermine the ability of the world to see the hand of God doing something amazing. Too often we have worked to manipulate the growth of the church through the methods and, and, the, and the ways in which the world builds things. The early church was built on the weak. It was built on the unlovely. It was built on the unwise. That church that, that we've been studying, that, cha- that church that changed the face of the earth, was not done by the wealthy and influential, but by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of the Lord. We have to be strong enough to lift up the weak. And as much as we see this, this among the leaders, like everything else, this becomes a part of a people's approach. If the, pe- if the leadership is fixated on the wealthy and the wise and the strong, instead of the poor and the foolish and the weak, then the congregation begins to do the same thing. We too often distance ourselves from the broken. We don't have time for the hurting. We avoid the needy. The church is unhealthy too often because we've adopted an earthly approach to our church relationships. We want to be with, we want to be with people we want to be with because they're good-looking or successful or well-mannered. It's amazing to me how often I, I hear the, the, the testimony of people who, who, who go to particular churches because it gives them business opportunities. I go to that church because I get good business connections. A lot of business people there, so I can go and make more money. It's unreal. It's an unbelievable view of how to approach church that is so counter to the Word of God that it is, it is, it is no wonder the world has seen an unhealthy church in its American experience. This is an easy approach. It is easy for us to be with people we want to be with. It is an easy approach to want to be around people that we want to be around. It's easy for pastors to want to cater to the influential. It's easy as church members to want to be with those that make our lives more comfortable. And that's why I say we have to be strong enough to lift up the weak. We have to be strong enough to engage with the weak. It's easy to want to be with those that lift us up. But that's the exact opposite of Christ's gospel message. 
Christ valued the broken. He valued the unlovely. He valued the unwise. He valued the uninfluential. He valued them so much that he purchased them with his own blood. That those he went after was not the, those who were the cream of the crop. He, didn't, he, he looked around at you and he looked around at me and he looked around at the, 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 the unwise and the uninfluential that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians. And said, I value you enough to shed my blood for your salvation. He looked at those around who didn't deserve it. Like you and me. And he gave his life for you and me. We must be willing, as a church, to do the same. To help those who hurt. To help those who are broken. Those who are spiteful. Because that's what Jesus Christ did for us. And that is the gospel lesson that, that Paul's final instruction to the church of Ephesus contains. We must help the weak. He starts his message to, his last message to the church with never losing sight of the price that was paid for the church. He calls us in his admonition to lift up the weak. But his final, final instruction is we need to desire to give more than to receive. We never lose sight of the price that was paid. We have to be strong enough to lift up the weak. But there's a reality that he wraps this all up with. And this reality becomes the foundation for everything else. He says, we, we, have, to, we have to have a desire to give more than to receive. That's what he says. I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul uses this declaration as the impetus for everything else he said prior. He says, he says out of this understanding, out of this, out of this heart's place, out of this position, everything I've just said will flow. If I view my existence within the context of the church that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive, then I can find myself helping the weak. Because I realize it's not about me, it's about giving. If I, if, I, if, I have a, if I have approached the church that says it is more blessed to give than to receive, then I'm not going to put myself in a place in which I think it's about me or for me. It begins with a heart and a mindset that says it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's saying, he's saying listen, giving of yourself willingly creates, it provides a blessed state, a, a, a blessed existence to help the weak. A blessed place in which you can, you can lift up the weak. Now I want you guys to understand what he's not saying. He's not saying if you give, God will bless you more. Okay? 
If we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we are in Christ, I want you to understand something. We are blessed by Jesus, period. He's not, he's not withholding blessings from you so that you do enough. You do this, I'll give you a little bit more blessing. You do this, I'll give you a little more blessing. He doesn't train us the way we train our dogs. We are blessed because of our place in Jesus Christ. But what he's telling us is when we position our hearts, when we position our lives in a place in which we, we desire to give more than we desire to, live, to, to receive, we will find ourselves in a blessed state. We will find ourselves in a spiritual place that is the most blessed place to be. Too often I think we read this passage and we make it about ourselves. Oh, it's more blessed to give than receive. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give so that I can be more blessed. You understand it makes it about you, right? You're ultimately saying, I want to receive, I want to receive. So I'll give because it says if I give, I'll receive more. Right? That's not, the, that's not the indication here. What he's leading us to is he's saying, listen, there is this state in which you find yourself when you position yourself saying, I, it's more about giving than it is about receiving. Steve Cole explains it in his commentary on this passage like this. So givers are blessed because they are freed from the destructive sin of greed. They are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and they have deep and enduring relationships with others. What he's saying is the state that you find yourself in spiritually is one in which you're freed from the sin of greed. How many of you know greed wars against your spiritual well-being? How many of you know that greed is something that takes hold of your heart and creates destruction in you? It creates envy in you. And so he's saying is, when you position yourselves in a place in which you say, listen, it's not about what I get. It's not about what I receive. It puts you in a spiritually blessed place to, to be positioned to be more like Jesus. Our goal as followers of Christ, our desire as followers of Christ, is to be more like Jesus so people can see more of Jesus through us. And so all he's saying is, this positions you in a place to live out the gospel that shows forth the beauty of who Jesus Christ is. At the heart of the unhealthy church is a bunch of people who are more fixated on receiving than they are on giving. I want you to hear that again. At the heart of an unhealthy church is a bunch of people who are more fixated on receiving than they are on giving. Paul has gotten to the heart of the core of the destructive church, and it is a church whose impetus for being is self-serving. And I think this is an important warning, particularly in, 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 the, in the state of the American church we find ourselves. Pastors who are self-serving, who produce a message that is self-serving, that is being consumed by people who are self-serving. That's an unhealthy church. In this scenario, everyone loses. Pastors lose their souls to the allure of self-serving leadership. People who find accommodation for their self-serving religiosity never learn the lesson of Christ's gospel message. Those who are seeking a self-serving experience who don't get it leave disillusioned. And those who are seeking a gospel community to meet them at their broken place never find it. Because all they discover is self-serving leaders who are leading self-serving people. 
Paul, in one simple phrase, frames the essence of the church that honors Christ. It is more blessed to give than to receive. This should be a challenge to every single one of us. This should be a challenge to every single person who calls themselves a follower of Christ. This should be a challenge to every single person who comes to church and says, this is my church, this is my community. This is my spiritual home. Is your posture towards your church more about receiving than it is about giving? It is more blessed to give than to receive. If that does not define your church experience, if that does not encapsulate your approach to church, if that does not describe your heart's desire for, for church community, whether you are a pastor or a community group leader or a worship leader or a greeter or a children's worker or a member who's just sitting in the pew, then it will, then it will be no doubt that you will struggle and the church will struggle. The existence of the church is to emulate, is to reveal, is to glorify Jesus Christ. And his heart's desire was to give and not receive. The believer who is mature and who will mature is the believer whose posture is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you see why we struggle so much in the church today? Do you see why so many people walk away from the church disillusioned and hurting? Because we've created for ourselves a spiritual experience that is far more consumeristic than what the Word of God calls us to. I want you to understand, I want you to finally frame this phrase properly. So often we've heard this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we've always connected it to, this, to stupid things like, like giving gifts at parties or giving, giving gifts at Christmas. The admonition, it is more blessed to give than to receive, is Paul's foundation for a healthy church. It is our heart's position. It is our mindset. It is our, it is our spiritual uh, approach to our engagement in the church. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If that is not your approach to the church, it is no wonder you're struggling in the church. If that is not our approach as a church, it is no wonder that the church is struggling. Yes, there are those who are weak and we need to lift them up. But by and large, if you are a member of a church, if you are part of a church and you do not define your approach as it is more blessed to give than to receive, then our experience will not be one that honors Christ or deeply impacts people in their spiritual walk. Paul lays out for us how we can be a healthy people. How we can be a church that brings love and hope and life. The love and the hope and the life that is found in Jesus Christ into our world, into our community, into the lives of people who are hurting. It is by keeping sight of the fact that Jesus Christ loved the church so much that he paid for it 
with his blood. It is valuing that body, valuing our place in that body, valuing our, our position and valuing our brothers in light of that truth. It is coming to a place in our lives in which as we approach the church, as we, as we, as we look at the church, we understand that our place here is not simply to receive, but to give. And in doing that, we will help the weak. We'll be free to help the weak. We'll be excited to help the weak. We'll be working to help the weak. Because we understand that what it means to, be, to live the gospel is to give and not receive. I believe Paul has given an incredible challenge to us as individuals and to us as the community of faith and to us as leaders. And if we embrace this, God will build his church in an incredible way.